chapter 11, verse 29 to 32. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of Sheba will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. We're going to sing, and then we'll, uh, we'll explore those verses together for a moment or two. Let's pray. Father, as we come to open the Bible together, we ask for your help, that you help us to understand and respond uh, in the right ways to, to what is written. Father, thank you that your word is alive and that you are alive. And we pray that we will uh, we'll know more of you as we look into it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To, uh, to, to kind of get us going with what I want us to, to look at for a few moments uh, this morning, I want to share with you an illustration uh, that, uh, that I did at Friday Football a few weeks ago. So Friday Football is uh, it's about 25 uh, kids uh, all playing football uh, at, at the sports hall at Cape and Ray. And then at halftime, they're going to gather together, you know, lots of sweat, lots of red faces. And they sit still for, you know, a good few minutes to, uh, to listen carefully as, uh, as you just share with them. And I want to share uh, an illustration. It's an old classic. So you might have seen this before. In fact, you might even have done this before. But uh, see, if, see if you recognize it. So uh, picture that scene. The kids are all gathered around. Uh, Pete's there with his positivity and his, and his kind, of, kind of calm presence. Keith is there with his enthusiasm, helping keeping everyone sorted. Derek's there with that air of authority that comes from the one who's the referee. And, there's, uh, and then there's me. And, uh, and I show them the, this chocolate bar, not this one, but a similar one. And I say, this is, a, this is my chocolate bar. I've bought this. I own this chocolate bar. It belongs to me. But I am willing to, uh, to, to give this chocolate bar away this morning or this then this evening. And you can sense within the children a, a new interest in what might be about to happen. And, uh, and they kind of zone in a little bit. And I said, I'm willing to give this away. In fact, I'll give this away for free tonight. And you can see them thinking to each other, he's going to do it. What an idiot. He's going to give this, he's going to give this away. And I say, this, this chocolate is free Belongs to me, but I'm happy to give it away. It's free for anybody who wants it tonight. And people are putting their hands up and they're, you know, some have got two hands in the air. And I say, this chocolate bar is free for anybody who wants it right now. This is, a, this is right here for anybody who wants this free gift, this chocolate bar. And then one boy on the front row stands up. For argument's sake, let's call him Daniel Ward. 
boy stands up and, uh, and he comes forward and he says, Ian, I'd like that chocolate bar. And I said, here you go, Daniel, it's all yours. And the point of the illustration was that it's all very well to hear some good news. It's all very well to hear something that, that a brilliant offer that's available, but you need to respond to it. There's a, there's a response. You, you, you come and collect it. You, you receive it. And there's an active part in that. And, and what we're looking at in, in Luke's gospel for a few moments, just this morning, is we're seeing that this, this, um, this dynamic at work where, where people are seeing and hearing the good news, but there's no response. Let's, uh, let's just have a little look at it together. There's two things I want us to, to notice uh, in, in a few moments we have. I want us to notice that the problem that Jesus is outlining, and then we'll look at the hope that there is here too. Firstly, that there's a problem. Verse 29, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So, so what's happening here? Well, Jesus has been uh, active and at work in Luke's gospel for uh, 11 chapters up to now. And we've seen him heal the sick, feed the hungry. We've seen him uh, have authority over evil, even quite um, uh, the, the real uh, big evil presence. He's calmed the storm, but people are still unwilling to respond to him. We saw in the last time we looked at the uh, the passage in the in the just in the chapters before in the in the verses before, we saw that Jesus drove out this demon, and we saw that it shows that Jesus is strong and that he's good and that he has power over evil. But the people around are saying, "Well, you only have power over evil because you're the prince of demons. That there's a wickedness. You're the most wicked." And Jesus takes this. And, and, and kind of flips it on its head and, it, and it's like there is a wickedness here, but it's not in him who is God, who is good, who is the very definition of purity and loveliness and holiness and power. But there's a wickedness in the hearts of those around. And what, so what is that, that wickedness about? Well, let's look at the two examples Jesus gives uh, to kind of help us unpack it a little bit. Jesus quotes two passages from the Old Testament to help us uh, see what the problem is. Let's, let's look at them. The first one is Jonah. The men of Nineveh, verse 32 says, will stand up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, let's re- remind ourselves of, of what, what's going on with Jonah. It may be that you know the story of Jonah inside out and back to front and have taught on it for you know an eight-week series. Or it may be that you have never heard the story of Jonah in the past at all. So let's just remind ourselves of, of what's going on with, with Jonah. Jonah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's a prophet at a time in Israel where things are sort of spiraling out of control. There's a, there's a moral and a spiritual um, uh, erosion that's happening. But God sends him to, to a place called Nineveh with a, with a message. And Nineveh is the capital city of a, of a place called Assyria. 
And if, if, if Jonah belongs to a relatively small nation, Israel, Nineveh is a capital of a big nation. Assyria is a, is a bit of a superpower of the time, a military superpower. And, and, and just fast forward a little bit, Assyria is going to be the, uh, the tool that God uses to, to, to execute judgment on the people of Israel. Assyria will come in and just demolish the nation of Israel, taking its people and relocating them around its empire. So Assyria are not a people to take lightly. And Nineveh is the capital. It's this great city said to be built on the back of slaves. And there's a good reason that Jonah doesn't want to go there. There's lots of very, very good reasons why you wouldn't want to go to Nineveh. And he decides that he doesn't want to follow God's command to go to Nineveh. So he turns 180 degrees and runs in the other direction. I love Jonah. Jonah's Jonah's a wholehearted individual, whether he's getting it right or wrong. he's, he's, He's so relatable in lots of ways. But he runs in the opposite direction and he flees for somewhere called Tarshish, which is the edge of the known world for the people of Israel. He is running as fast as he can, as far away as he can, as soon as he can. He gets on a boat. In fact, the, the, the Hebrew for getting on the boat is slightly interesting. It might be that he buys the boat. It would certainly fit with his wholehearted character. He is, he's getting on that boat and he's getting away. But he's on the boat. There's a storm that comes and uh, he ends up being thrown overboard and uh, is swallowed by a big fish. He's there three days and three nights before the fish uh, regurgitates him on a beach somewhere and he decides that he will head for Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches one of the shortest messages in all the prophets as far as what's recorded for us in the book. I think it's only about eight or nine words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Compared to some of the other prophets, that's not a lot of words. But the people of Nineveh respond. Let me read what they do. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw that they, uh, what, they had, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It's a remarkable response. There's such humility in there. They recognize their evil ways, their violence, and they, they say, we're going to humble ourselves and cry out to God. And I think the big point here is that the people of Nineveh respond. They, they respond to what Jonah says. And let's be very clear, Jonah is not perfect. He doesn't get everything right. He's, he's not a shining example of, of how to get everything right. But when he brings this message, the people of Nineveh respond. 
What about the, the Queen of Sheba? Verse uh, 31 in what we've been looking at. The Queen of the South will rise. Queen of the South is the name of a Scottish football team. I'm aware of that. This is a different altogether. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment and with the people of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now something greater than Solomon is here. So, so what, what's happening here? What's Jesus referring to? Well, we need to go even further back in the Old Testament history. Solomon is the king on the throne and he's on the throne at a time of real uh, success and prosperity and wealth for the people. So his dad was a real, a real man of war, a really successful military commander. And he lived in a generation where there was real mighty men who, who did great things for God and for the people. And so Israel's territory is large. There's a lot of money flowing around. There's a lot of uh, nations are paying tribute to them. And then Solomon becomes king and he asks God when he becomes king for great wisdom to rule this powerful nation. And, and, he, gets the, and he gets great wisdom. And there's, uh, there's, there's rumors and echoes of, his, of this wisdom and all that God's doing within Israel reach the queen of Sheba, who is queen a, a long way away from where Israel is. This is what happens. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, just notice that for now. When she heard of the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, and the palace he had built, and the food at his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you've far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne in Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. So again, the emphasis in this illustration that Jesus uses seems to be that the Queen of Sheba responds to what she's heard. She's heard rumors about Solomon. She's heard uh, kind of whispers on the wind of, of his greatness. And, and that Solomon, as you meet Solomon, you get a sense of what God is like. And she wants to find out. She wants to find out for herself. So she seeks after him. She goes on this costly journey taking all these kind of uh, treasures and time to find out if it's true. She responds. So I think that the problem that Jesus addresses here is 
that the people around him have seen lots of things that Jesus has done. They've heard his teaching. They are in and around the one who is God, the one who is goodness, the one who is holiness, the one who is righteousness, the one who is, is God. And yet they respond by saying, show me another sign. It's almost as if there's the kind of this kind of folded arms thing. I'm not sure. Show, show me another sign. When they've, when they've interacting with the Son of God. It's the creation, a standing in judgment on the creator. And, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a problem in the human heart as it refuses to respond. But there is hope in these verses as well. Let's, let's have a look at the hope. Let's look again at the examples that Jesus uses. Let's start with the, the Queen of Sheba. She, remember, is not part of, of the people of Israel. She doesn't have the laws about God, which are these, uh, these kind of mirror telling us about God's nature and his character and who he is. She's not nearby God's people. There's not people in and around her who are telling her about God and what he's like. But she's heard something. She's heard something about about Solomon and about how getting to see Solomon gives you an indication of what God is like. And so she makes this journey at some cost, bringing all these precious stones and all that stuff that she's bringing. She makes this journey to, to check out what Solomon is like and what God is like. There is hope in her responses. Two things I want us to notice there. First of all, there are, you're never too far away to respond to God. You're never too far away. You're never too far away to respond to God. That means, sometimes that means those who, who, who come in, uh, you know, those of us who are in church, week in, week out, sometimes we can feel far away because we've fallen again. We've got lost in that, that stuff again. We've made that mistake again. And we feel... We're, like we're too far away. I once saw that illustration that we did with the chocolate. I once saw it done with the money. That would get my attention. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a chap called Peter Reed who was doing it. And uh, I don't know where he got the resources for this, but he started with a five pounds. And anyone who wants this, does it, do you believe that I'll give it to you? And somebody came and took it. And then he said, I've got another one here. Do you want that one as well? And so I was semi-embarrassed. The guy went up and took that one again. And he did it five, six, seven times. He had about 50 quid. <laughs> and he was inc- like, as he kept going forward for it, there was, there was something like blocking him from going. He felt sort of something was holding him. You know, it was, it was not as easy as it sounds like. Because, because it's hard for us to receive grace. It's hard for us to receive forgiveness sometimes. Particularly if we've already fall, if, if, if already received it before, we're not too far away. The grace, forgiveness, and goodness of God is there for those who respond. We're not too far away. We're not too far away. And then, secondly, there's another encouragement for us in this in this uh, picture. See, Solomon is doing what God's called him to do. He's king, that's his calling on his life. 
And he has been given gifts by God. He's been given wisdom. That's a gift God has given him. And as, as Solomon gets on with his calling, with the gifts that God has given him, people start to see God. They start to see past him to who God is. And as we get on with the calling that God has put on our lives, to, you know, to, be, to be a great mum, to, uh, to serve as an accountant, to, to do whatever it is it might be, it might be very normal. But as we get on with that and we use the gifts God has given us, God will use those things to point others towards who he is. Think about Jonah and the people of Nineveh for a moment. We said that Nineveh was a great city. It's, it's, it's very close to the city of, of Mosul in Iraq, if you like geography, and like to know where things are. And Nineveh was on this, this route between the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean. So really, uh, a really advantageous place to be as far as trade goes. Plenty of money in Nineveh. And it was an advanced city as well. From what archaeologists tell us, there's lots of beautiful ca- canals, gardens. It's a beautiful city at the center of a strong empire with plenty of money. Uh, and one of the things that archaeologists have found, they found this, this palace in Nineveh. And uh, it's uh, a palace b- built by somebody called Sennacherib. And you can read about Sennacherib. He actually is in, is in Kings and, and Chronicles. He has some interactions with the people of God in the Old Testament. But Sennacherib builds this palace, which he humbly titles the palace without uh, comparison. And, uh, and the, the the, the palace is filled with, with artwork and sculptures and statues and all this sort of thing. And if you want to know what a culture values, look at what it celebrates. So if you look at what, what sort of things were celebrated in the artwork and in the, in the drawings and all that's going on, there's all these pictures of, of war. This is a warring nation. And, uh, and I'll save you lots of the details. The more you read, the more unpleasant things you find about what wartime looked like. In this point, and, and particularly the, the Ninevites, one of the favourites way to to kill an enemy was to impale them. You would put them on a on a stick at the end on the on the alive at the gates of the city. It was a it was a warning, an intimidation tactic. And as an aside, we wonder if the the Romans saw this idea of holding up your prisoner to die, and and liked it, but thought impaling that you, you die too quickly. And so um, kind of move forward to, to the idea of a cross and a crucifixion. Nevertheless, this is a, this is, there's a, there's a, what I'm trying to say is, is Nineveh is a secure, solid, prosperous, uh, warring capital. This is the last people you would expect to respond. Because they're safe. They're secure. They, they've, they've got everything together. They've got money, they've got safety, they've got security. They're surrounded by big armies. They're the ones on the attack, not the defense. And yet, when Jonah went there, God did exactly what Jonah feared he would do. And he showed compassion on them. Because they responded to his preaching. It's interesting, isn't it? Jonah managed to accept God's compassion in his life when he blew it. It was difficult for him to accept compassion for somebody else. But that's been human, isn't it? We can associate that. We know that. So where is the hope? Well, the hope is the same, isn't it? The people of Nineveh were the last people you'd expect to respond, but there's no one too far away to respond 
to the grace of God. These people would seem like the last people who would would respond. I wonder if you feel like the last person who would ever respond to the grace of God. I wonder if there are people in your life, in your family, in your world who feel like the last people on earth who would respond. Well, no one is too far away if they will humble themselves and turn to God. And then secondly, just as we saw that uh, Solomon was um, the, the, the message that the Queen of Sheba was able to read, so Jonah is the message that the people of Nineveh read. Jesus says, doesn't he, in verse 30, just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. See, I think that Jonah was, was assigned to the, to the people. Jonah had been in a, in a fish three days and three nights. He was effectively dead. Some Bible scholars think he was dead. That's for another time. But he was, either he was or he was effectively dead in the belly of a fish. And he comes back to life. And he is a message. Now, here's what I love about what God does. In Solomon, God uses his calling and his gifts to, to help point people to who God is. In Jonah, God weaves into Jonah's story his failure and his, in a way, messes up in order to point people to him. He runs away, but his, his failure, his, his failure is woven into his story, becomes part of the message for the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, in those statues that we discovered, archaeologists discovered, I didn't have anything to do with it, um, they, they, they seem to worship a, a god called Dagon. He is half man, half fish. And so God uses Jonah's very failure to, 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 for him to, and, and his restoration to be a message to the people he's sent to because God is gracious and powerful and kind, not because we have freedom to do what we want. And Jonah is the message, just as Solomon was the message. Jesus said, as the crowd increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. These are people who, who are refusing to respond to Jesus. Fold in their arms, give us another sign. But even then, there is a sign coming because Jesus is on his way to the cross where he'll be killed but rise again. There is, a, there is, there is another chance for this generation to see who God is and what he's doing and to respond. And it matters how we respond. Do you notice in these verses, as we close, in these verses we read that there is a day coming, a day of judgment. I wonder if you notice that in this world, there seems to be a lot of things that are unresolved. Injustices, life is short. Things don't seem to, to find their resolution, but there is a day coming where the Lord Jesus will make all things right. A day when judgment is about justice and is about resolution. And there is a day coming and the men of Nineveh will be there and the queen of the south will be there and the people of this generation will be there and so will we. And it's important that we respond to this offer of life that Jesus has for us, that we respond to this free gift of forgiveness and grace and hope and life.
Let me pray as we, uh, as we close. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and kindness, but for your power and might. Father, thank you for what you've done in sending Jesus. Thank you for the, for the peace, forgiveness, and hope that he offers. Father, thank you that we're never too far away to respond. Thank you that you use not only the gifts and temperament that you've given us, but also can even use our, our failures for your glory. In Jesus' name.